0: We're going to be looking at a documentary based on a best selling book called The Bible on Earth and exploring the field of biblical archaeology. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rabbi React in our mini series on archaeology and the Bible and in the mini series inside that mini series about the Exodus. Now, if you haven't already done so, Uh, Please remember to like, subscribe, and click on the notification button so that you get notified when more of these sorts of videos get made. We've been following a documentary called The Bible Unearthed that's been arguing that the evidence is the Exodus isn't true. And I've been pointing out point by point how actually many of these claims are very controversial on their part and denied by enormous parts of the archaeological community. And in fact, there's very strong evidence for at least the bits that we can confirm archaeologically remember archaeology is not a miracle science it can't dig up for us things that we don't have we don't have surviving paper many towns that we dig up don't have a name saying this town is called x or these people lived here so we have to establish from the clues that we have what coheres well with the details of the story and we've discussed all sorts of things if you haven't yet seen previous episodes you can look at episodes where we discuss the town of Ramses that the israelites build the town of pithom the actual crossing of the sea even all sorts of exciting stuff. In today's episode, what I want to explore is actually how so many details of the story, literally from the migration into Egypt all the way through, seem to match facts that we have now been able to ascertain archaeologically and have coherence with, evidence for, that makes it seem that the author seems to know micro-details at every single point of the story. It suggests authenticity, it suggests an, an author who knows the details of what's going on at each specific point in time, in a way that a later human author just could not have done. First all, let's start from the beginning of the story. The movement of Semitic peoples, Jacob and his family, down from the land of Canaan into Egypt around, let's say, the mid-2nd millennium BC. So we know, we have archaeological evidence that that was exactly what was happening, that, that Semites were migrating pretty steadily through those sorts of centuries. And by the way, not much later in history. There's a tomb of Khnumatep where you have a picture on the wall of uh, of Semitic people coming down. That's in the nineteenth century BCE. So that's at the time of of Abraham. And then you have similar things all the way down as late as the thirteenth century BCE. So exactly in the time when when the biblical text, when the Torah depicts migrations into Egypt, is exactly the time when we know historically was happening. By the way. Later in the, in the biblical, and the Torah text, when people have famines in Canaan, they don't necessarily go down to Egypt. So that exactly maps the fact that migrations then stopped happening archaeologically as well. Then the question of them becoming slaves, these Semitic people being enslaved around, let's say, the 15th or 14th century BCE and be given hard labor, bricks, all the various things the Torah describes. Let me just read it inside. So at the very beginning of the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verse 13, it's via at that the Egyptians um, they enslaved them. They enslaved the Israelites with hard work. They made their lives bitter, with hard slavery, B'choma of right, with this brickwork and and uh, and mortar, and also all the work in the fields. That's what it says they did. So do we have evidence around that period of time that the Egyptians were enslaving people? with brickwork and mortar work and also fieldwork? Well, let's take a look. It turns out that in the 15th century BCE, at exactly that time, in a tomb of a local mayor has been found an engraving that shows the enslaving of Semitic peoples who are forced to make bricks and mortar and build structures with them, exactly fitting in with the biblical description. You also have another papyrus, actually one of those very rare surviving papers in that time, and like I said to you, there's almost none, but one of the ones that survived. Actually, I'm going to quote from it. It says, the Apiru, which is very similar to the Hebrew word, Hebrews, right? Debate if they are necessarily the Hebrews, maybe not, but it could certainly be, are dragging stones to the great pylon for construction of a palace. In other words, definitely a slave people of Semites, possibly an explicit reference to the Hebrews who are dragging these stones exactly as the Torah describes. Then we have, as we mentioned earlier, the city of Ramses, the actual store city that's described in the Torah. Now that there's no debate about, but where it is, was only around from the early 13th century. It was finished by the year 1075. It was no longer occupied. So how would any later author than that know about this place? It had been long abandoned for centuries. So again and again and again, the story fits in precisely with exactly the time it's written in. And then you've got the store city of Ramses, which everybody now agrees pretty much is the place Kuntir. And the incredible thing about that place is we now know archaeologically... After the year 1075 BCE, it was abandoned. Like many rivers in the area, it dried up and the water supply nearby had gone and all the artifacts moved elsewhere. And that city that the Israelites built was completely abandoned. Now, the Minimalists are saying, oh, the Bible's being written in the 7th or 6th or 5th centuries BCE, hundreds of years later, by authors looking around at their time and projecting backwards that city Ramses did not exist in the time they claim the text is written. It had not existed for centuries at the time they claim it's written. This is clear evidence that it's being written right at the time it claims to be written. And there's many other arguments like this. If you're interested, you can read one of Hoffmeier's books or his lectures online. You can read Kenneth Kitchen's On the Reliability of the the Old Testament. You can see... um, the Israeli scholar Joshua Berman, lots of people have written on, on, on this. And you can see lots of details of how precisely the story maps, the Torah's depiction maps exactly what was going on at the time. But perhaps the strongest piece of evidence is by a researcher called Benjamin Noonan, who's an expert on linguistics at the time and, and wrote detailed study of all the loanwords words in Tanakh, in the biblical corpus. And you see every language absorbs from the languages around it. So if you took Hebrew today, modern Hebrew, it's full of English words, which means any future historian will know that if they read Hebrew literature in the 21st century, they will know that the dominant culture of the time must have been English language cultures because it's so full of English words like televisia. That's clearly, you know, an English word and so on. You could do exactly the same with biblical Hebrew. You can look at exactly which words have come in from nearby cultures and times and know exactly when that text is written. So, for example, in all the biblical books that are written post-exilic, right, books like the book of Esther or the book of Daniel, of Daniel, Ezra and Nehemiah, these books clearly are full of Persian words as well as the explicit Aramaic in them because... They clearly, the Hebrew had been affected by being evolved in, in those cultures. Or, or um, kind of 8th century BC texts have Assyrian, because the Assyrians are there. Well, the Torah has absolutely none of those loan words in it. Not one Persian word from the 5th, 6th, nothing from the 7th or 8th century Assyrian, which means this text is not written in those times. The Hebrew of those times had those foreign words, and the later biblical books have them. The Torah has none. The Torah only has loan words from one culture. Egypt, and the words come from one time, thirteenth to tenth century B.C. You not have stronger evidence. The Torah is being written by a people who had strong contact with Egypt at that time. The Hebrew is thirteenth to tenth century B.C. From a people who have clearly been very involved with Egypt. So I put it to you that the evidence. Of the detailed knowledge of the story the text of the story is clearly contemporaneous it's clearly hebrews who, who had come out of egypt and the story they're writing fits the details so accurately that what the archaeologists should be saying is we actually have shockingly enormous evidence fitting the story precisely such that this has to at the very least be an incredibly detailed historic memory and more than a memory written by people At that time. Well, I hope you've been enjoying our episodes tracking the discussion and debate about the Exodus. In the next episode, we're going to go to another part of the documentary and look at the book of Deuteronomy, where these authors believe that they know who the author of, if not the whole Torah, at least the book of Deuteronomy might be. This is a very important point in terms of our investigation. There's only one major problem with this. The word Jerusalem does not appear once in the book of Deuteronomy. Hi everyone, thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed what you saw, please click on the like and subscribe and hit the notification button below. Thanks so much.